We need a one-way ticket to Des Moines, please. Des Moines? What the hell for? Sunday, May 17th, 2020. My name is Justin Comer, and this is Rock Hard Caucus. I'm joined as usual by Evan Jones. Hi, hello. And for the first time in about two months, joining us, returning, is Chuck Yonda. Hello, everybody. The legend, the returning yeah. champ. Yeah, I'm back and I'm better than ever. I uh, used my quarantine time to have a fresh brain installed. Uh, <laughs> I've had it polished several times. Um, I've been listening to the show, and last week there were far too many women on the show, so uh, <laughs> I've come back, and there's none this week. It's just it's just the fellas now. That's right. That was his yeah. uh, his only demand for his return to yes. the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so we don't need to get straight to business since this is your first time on in a while. How have you been holding up with the uh, virus problem? Fine. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I've been going to work every day. I think I've missed one day of work since uh, since this started. My uh, girlfriend has been laid off for two months now, and she recently returned to work uh, in the last couple of days. So with I know with me, like I've been wearing my mask the whole time and everything. It was kind of scary at first to be out there, uh, but after like two weeks went by, and you just see like waves and waves of people outside and coming into the store. And at the grocery store and at the gas station without masks, you just sort of like, it doesn't bother you as much, I guess, because it's like sort of a helpless feeling that like, well, yeah. you know, these people don't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> that yeah. doesn't mean I'm going to stop wearing mine, of course. Like, I, you know, have an immunodeficiency, so I kind of have to. But I've been good. I mean, my life has changed very little during this, except for like the threat of getting sick. And it's been kind of, it's been interesting to listen to people uh, and read stuff about people who are getting ready to return to work. And, you know, I think the anxiety for them is much higher than anything I experienced when this first started because they've just been sort of sitting and reading all these, you know, all the numbers and like hearing all these stories about people packing the store and the restaurants all the time, which recently reopened here in Iowa, by the way. Um, right. You can go back to Applebee's and you can have your <laughs> mm-hmm. fucking kick and dipper onion straws served to you by you know, a college student again, instead of picking it up, you know, cause that's, I don't fucking understand what the hell people <laughs> right. are freaking out about with restaurants, but, um, yeah, life is, it's, everything's normal here now. Actually, uh, the numbers are going down. We're considering this a big victory. Uh, the state's reopening. Everything's going to be fine. We flattened the curve and, um, I'm excited to see everyone back at work. <laughs> There's definitely not uh, another spike coming. Everything is going to be fine from here on out. Yes. Crushed it. Killing it. <laughs> Iowa just reopened pretty much everything on Friday, just two days ago. I, I haven't left my house. <laughs> Me Which <neither>. rocks. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen reports that uh, basically every bar in downtown Iowa City just immediately disregarded all safety guidelines. Oh, yeah, man. All the patios just completely full of people oh, eating yeah. and slobbering all over each other. So things are definitely going to remain uh, totally fine. No no problems coming. We're not going to... Yeah. <laughs> the virus is over. 
the the craziest part to me is they're reopening gyms. Like that's like <laughs> got to well, be yeah. yeah, I don't the worst. I look at looking at it, I think that the only part about opening stuff like that that bothers me, I mean, cuz you got to remember dude, like I've been out and about, you know, for one reason or another cuz I've had to be since this thing has started, so I've kind of just become yeah. like I, I hate to say it, but I I don't think it like frightens me as much as it used to. It doesn't give yeah, me well, like it makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't give me the lingering anxiety anymore. Like it's just I don't know. I've gotten so used to wearing the mask that I don't like freak out about it much anymore. But the thing that bothers me is some of the businesses that are reopening, they're just doing it with like their full staff or whatever, and they're not really taking any precautions. Like if it's a gym and you just have like whoever like the general manager is, like the manager of the gym is just there working because they want to or whatever, and all those idiots want to pack the ellipticals and like the squat racks and shit together and get each other sick. Okay, that's fine. But like, there shouldn't have to be a full staff there yeah. because they choose to reopen, and uh, you know they're put at risk by all these these dumb fucks. It's the same with like wait staffs and shit. I mean, I experienced the same thing. Justin, I was out driving around on a Friday, and uh, there's some restaurants and bars by my house that have outdoor seating, and yeah, there just was it's like nothing, man. Like, there's bars that serve food, you know, and they're like, oh, well, we're reopened for food or whatever, and like people are just packed into the bar. Like, there's one pretty old one by my house that uh, I saw a picture from and like the bar was like crowded with people. But the thing that kind of sucks the most about this is the people that are most of the time people that are getting sick and dying from this are the ones that are like at risk and like still kind of being careful. But, yeah. Like all these dipshits that are going out and just doing whatever the fuck they want like the whole time. A lot of them are like sadly probably going to be fine. Uh, yep. It's just yeah. Well, they're conscious that they're more dangerous to other people. Like yeah, and it's just, it's just what like, they do with it. It's just a complete desire to not have any sort of social responsibility. Yeah, man. Just it's completely insane. divorce yourself from society. Yeah, which we do in fact live in. <laughs> we do be living in a society. I don't understand why people are seeing like the mask thing as like a form of oppression. Like if if you think it's like tyranny for for it to be suggested that you wear a face mask for ten minutes while you <laughs> yeah. go inside of a store, like. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> did you pay attention in, like, civics and, like, history? <laughs> like, is that what you think yeah. tyranny is? Like, fuck, man. Also, this is America. I, I this is can America. wear a mask if I fucking want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also, I mean, pretty much the whole time, you could have just done whatever you wanted because there was no enforcement yes. of any sort yeah. of, yes, like, exactly. safety guidelines anywhere. Yeah, it's you're not getting arrested. <laughs> like, there's no threat. Yeah, when you brought up uh, the gym, there was a guy. I think it was in Cedar Rapids, like last week or the week before, who just reopened, defying the state. Yeah, I heard uh, about mandates. Him. Oh yeah, and there's been a lot of those. I thought about talking about that on the show, but I I didn't bring up the the article. I I don't think anything really happened to him. Like, he might have to pay a fine. But <laughs> yeah, he'll pay a fine. Is what mm-hmm. it is. It's for every day that they're open. Like, he might have to go like. Uh, maybe a little bit of jail time. I doubt it, but there'll definitely be a fine per day because there was a woman that opened up her hair salon that she privately owned, and uh, she got a base fine for doing it, and then a fine for every additional day she was open. Uh, but my favorite one is that tattoo parlor in Texas. Did you guys read about that? I don't think so. Uh, I don't. I vaguely oh, remember boy. hearing something about it. Oh boy! So this guy owns a tattoo parlor in Texas, and he's like, "Fuck this! I'm gonna open my business. I don't give a fuck what this what the government tells me." So he got like 15 of his like three percenter buddies to come and like surround the building <laughs> in the parking lot while <laughs> holding their big fucking baby bottles with them, wearing armor. <laughs> and uh, 
I don't know what ended up happening. Like, I'm sure the police were just like, uh, can you guys, like, leave? Like, we're just going to walk in and give him a ticket if you guys want to just, like, fucking relax for a second. And they all shook hands with the cops and thanked yeah, them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank yeah. you for your tyranny. I heard there is an open carry demonstrator in Cedar Rapids, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tight. At one of the come and goes. The one by my parents' old house, I think. Yeah. I didn't hear about that. That's funny. Uh, so before we started the show, uh, we were waiting for Chuck to finish playing Madden. And, uh, <laughs> Madden 2020 on PC, like a uh, sophisticated gamer. That's right. <laughs> uh, Chuck, you asked me a question about sports. Would you like to oh. uh, ask me again? Yeah. So just preface this by saying I'm sure some of the listeners, maybe all of them, I don't know, know that there has been no sports in the United States for quite a while now. <laughs> and uh, this weekend is a big weekend, today specifically, because we have both a NASCAR race and we have a golf tournament today. Uh, I'm sure the ratings will be nice and high for that. So I, I asked Justin, because I mentioned, like, oh, I'm going to watch the golf today and Evan's like, I'm going to watch the car race today. And <laughs> I, I posed a question to Justin asking him, which one do you think is worse or like which one do you think ha- is like less ethical, golf or automobile racing? Yeah, I know my answer. I think I oh, shit. <laughs> I think the listeners probably know by now I'm not much of a sportsman. Um I'm happy for you guys that sports are back in a big way today. <laughs> Thank uh, you. All the sports These are, are both returned. kind of fringe sports too. <laughs> they are. Like yeah, it's yeah. I only marginally for... enjoy both, but they're both for elderly white people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in my mind the the major ethical violation like they both have a big one i think golf wastes a ton of land and space and car racing and water that's true uh car racing burns a lot of fuel and those are both big problems i mean think about all the golf courses in america that could instead be used for public housing or anything like that maybe like publicly owned agriculture or something but then the racing i mean burning all that fuel is just making all of our our climate issues worse i I think like a few years ago i probably would have said golf is worse but i think you know the existential threat that climate change is presenting to us i think that that racing probably edges it out now and i will argue too you mentioned land use have you ever seen like an aerial photo of like a major nascar circuit like not only is the track huge but the parking lot around it is massive as well. And there's really not a whole lot that can be repurposed to use the actual like NASCAR track itself. Whereas That's golf, true. A golf course, a golf mm-hmm. course could be easily repurposed, even though they're both gross misuses of land. Uh, and the golf courses tend to be more invasive and more disruptive to the, the wildlife in the area. But there's also the noise pollution aspect of NASCAR, oh which causes yeah, problems yeah. for a lot of um, areas. Um, I will say NASCAR does have green initiatives. I don't know to the extent, but I do know that they um, plant like you know whatever hundreds of thousands of trees or whatever the fuck to <laughs> offset some of the carbon emissions. Is that the guys that like own the oil companies that like own the racing teams that uh, <laughs> are in favor of that? Or? Um, yeah, I think the oil companies more use it to advertise than they do to actually yeah. own. Most of the like <laughs> teams are owned by either like I don't know, like Joe Gibbs is one. He's like sports legendary NFL, NFL coach. legendary NFL coach. Um, Rick Hendrick is just like a car dealer. <laughs> like a lot of them are like car dealers. Uh, a lot of the team owners are like guys who own a bunch of car franchises or uh, car dealerships. Yeah. Well, the roots of NASCAR are pretty good, though, actually, as well. I was going to say, uh, also, NASCAR has a much more working class. <laughs> that it does, yes. Yeah, yeah. 
for better or worse. Um, and I also do use E85 ethanol, which we, as, as Iowans, we know that we endorse. The, ethanol, the ethanol industry is, there's no problems there. It's not like a, like a it's band-aid good, or like a PR effort to make us feel better about consuming fuel. Yeah, we all directly benefit from the sale of E85, so we, you know, fully endorse the burning of corn fuel start your engines gentlemen (laughs) but there's also a lot of problems with golf like i said like the water thing i think is a big issue especially because like a lot of the golf courses are in like places like arizona where there's like a high percentage of retirees or like rich retirees and also places that have like big problems with like water and drought and like where to get water from and you know like the extent to like it takes to like irrigate an entire oh i know it's like a lot (laughs) like it's it's a it's a big problem those resources could be used a lot more like equitably obviously so both are bad the only good sport is hockey (laughs) yeah how wasteful is hockey do you think uh i would say hockey is not very wasteful because ice is just resurfaced it's it's like redone completely from time to time but Mm -hmm. an actual ice rink is just resurfaced by the zamboni uh, the only thing that I would say, the only knocks I would have against hockey is it's mostly like racists that watch hockey. Uh, <laughs> well, it's very inaccessible. I mean, it's funny <laughs> that everywhere. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's, the thing is, it's very inaccessible to like normal people. It always has been. Uh, to play hockey and to do it well, you have to start very early, which involves having to pay for ice time. Coaching is very expensive. Team fees and club fees are expensive. I think we've talked about this before on the show. Uh, equipment is expensive as you continue to grow. Like sticks, uh, good sticks are like a couple hundred bucks, and some people go through those like toilet paper. But yeah, it's just, and it's most just, it's, it's an accessibility thing. Like even just watching it on television, like there's really not hockey on TV like there is baseball and basketball and NASCAR and stuff. So like having to like pay for a cable package if you're one of the people that pays for that sort of thing to get it and even back in the day like it's kind of a hard sport to follow if you don't really know how to watch it i mean back in the day when there was before hd that was like one big complaint people had about hockey it's like oh i can't see the puck you know but oh yeah it's too fast and small yeah it, well the thing is is like you don't really watch the puck you watch the the player movement and like you can tell where the puck is based on how people are moving and yeah, I don't, I don't think hockey's very wasteful. The only way I would say it is wasteful is just the, the space to, like, a rink and, like, the parking lot takes up. But most NHL teams share an arena with another team. So, like, the LA Kings share the Staples Center. For example, I think St. Louis, I think the Blues share a stadium with, like, a college team, too. But sports are just bad in general if you want to get technical about it. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Nothing is, like I said, we said in previous episodes, nothing is as bad as FIFA. <laughs> Yes, nothing is as bad as FIFA. Okay, well, I think uh, we can get to the meat of today's episode. We've had our appetizers, and now it's time to just cut the roast and (laughs) (laughs) eat the baked potato or whatever. I don't know how far I'm going to go with that metaphor. Uh, (laughs) I think it went far enough. (laughs) We had a request from a listener. Um, I think I'm going to leave it name out of it just in case because this involves uh, a company that they maybe are employed by we're going to talk about xpo logistics uh do you guys know what this is at all i don't know i know they're in the logistics business (laughs) that's true yeah uh they're a publicly (laughs) traded uh they're like a trucking company basically just moving stuff around the country uh they're a pretty big uh, national company, actually international. They've got uh, a lot of stuff in Europe as well. 
last time I checked, I've got a screenshot from their Wikipedia page. Uh, revenue is sixteen point six five billion. Operating income Damn. eight eight hundred twenty one million. Total assets fourteen point one three billion. And they have a hundred thousand employees worldwide. In Iowa, they have. This is kind of like hard information to find because they're not really listing like our employees per state. That would mm-hmm. be weird. <laughs> yeah. Weird yeah. data to share with the world. <laughs> Uh, but according to an article I found in 2016, XPO has about 600 employees in the state of Iowa, and about two-thirds of those employees work in and around Des Moines. They've got 15 locations in Iowa that I could find. Uh, this is like warehouses, offices, all that stuff. Uh, they're in Cedar Rapids, Ottumwa, Shelby, Keokuk, Ames, Clear Lake, Fort Dodge, Sioux City, uh, several in the city of Des Moines, and then also in Clive and Ankeny. So th- we've got They've got a presence here in the state. A foothold, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They were founded in 1989, headquarters in Connecticut, and their CEO's name is Bradley Jacobs. It's a pretty normal name. Usually (laughs) those guys have, like, weird, like... Yeah, we do a lot of like sussing out names on this show. Yeah, we do. That one's pretty normal. <laughs> we I don't know. have much to say about that. Well, we'll get more into Bradley later. I've got a Forbes article about him, and it's in Forbes, so you know it's going to be good. Uh, but before we talk about Mr. Jacobs, the CEO, I've got an article here from KSHB, which is a local news organization in Kansas City, and this is about how XPO had been responding to coronavirus um, at the beginning of April. This was published April 6th. So it's a little old now, but I think it's it's going to be relevant to the conversation. The headline is, Trucking Company Reports 300 on Pandemic Leave. Employees Complain About Lack of PPE. Uh, this is written by Andy Alcock. <laughs> if we want to talk about names, there's a good one. <laughs> Uh, Some 300 employees from an international trucking company have been placed on pandemic sick leave due to coronavirus. XPO Logistics is an international company employing 50,000 people in the U.S. and 100,000 worldwide. After employees at the Kansas City, Kansas facility complained of a consistent lack of cleaning supplies, a Philadelphia trucker contacted 41 Action News. He didn't want to be identified for fear of losing his job. Some terminals, some locations, there's literally nothing to wipe forklifts down with, nothing to clean, wipe down trucks with, the trucker said. Bob Josephson, XPO spokesman. Josephson. That's a Bob Josephson, yeah. Uh, He said the company is competing for supplies just like everyone else in the industry and across multiple sectors of the economy (laughs) right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so a logistics trucking company did not have access to cleaning supplies. That's a multi-billion dollar company with, what was it, like $20 billion in assets? I think it was like f- more like fifteen billion, but uh, still, <laughs> I think they can probably yes, more than enough. Know, yeah, probably get some cleaning supplies get in there. Get a couple things, a couple things of wet wipes in every facility. Yeah, and this is early April again. So if we want to be charitable, this is like two weeks after everybody started taking this seriously. Yeah, I think I think uh, they had three. time to <laughs> to try yeah. something. Uh, Joseph has said the company is ordering thousands of gallons of hand sanitizer and thousands of gloves and masks. Our colleagues who are on the front lines, truck drivers and many others, their safety is our number one priority. <laughs> it's always them. Like it's it's always the, the most important priority in any business is the most expendable person. That's that's true. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. the the hand that reaches out to touch the diseased public for you to take their money. 
person that's yeah uh sure our actions may you know completely contradict the statement i'm making but what's more important the things i say or the things i do (laughs) (laughs) that's like what my dad always used to tell me do as i say not as i do that's just the general rule of thumb to live by i guess if you have any power (laughs) but it's not just the pennsylvania truck driver or the kck employees who are complaining oh that's kansas city kansas they use a cute little acronym there I guess when it's oh, nice. local news, yeah. I love to save time and keystrokes by doing things <laughs> like that. An email from an XPO employee in Albany, Georgia said in part, we do not have the proper PPE. We're being told each day that it's coming and to be patient, but we're forced to come to work. Yes, that sounds like your number one priority right there, the safety uh, of those people. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> Half-Life 3, man. It's coming. They swear. It's coming. It's coming. An email from another XPO employee said... I'm in California. No social distance. No care at all. Sick employees kept quiet. <laughs> a St. Louis XPO employee wrote in another email. We have no PPE. I have no hand sanitizer. I did get some wipes from a customer, thank God. So that's the best they can do is, you know, being tipped with wet wipes when they <laughs> drop off a load. <laughs> Man, that's grim. <laughs> <laughs> wow. One XPO employee based in Tampa told 41 Action News via email that they have had very little support from XPO Logistics. Yes, sounds right. We have no cleaning supplies for our tractors, the employee wrote. Some cleaning supplies for the handhelds showed up today. We had boxes of masks, although not N95 Dock pickups are not using any social distancing guidelines allowing anyone to walk into our building. <laughs> you know, the thing is with this is it's bad, but this is extremely widespread. I think that the oh, vast yeah. majority mm-hmm. of industries are operating just like this. They've they've changed very little, and it really has to do with, you know, the local management that run the facilities for the most part. Like, obviously, if you don't have the support from corporate to do things like that, they're not going to happen. But yeah, I'm telling you, man, like most people don't give a fuck about this. Yeah. They really don't. I've said this to you guys before, just from me being out and about, I would say people that actually like make a conscious effort to like put some distance between one another and like wear a mask and stuff. It's like mate, like masks are like one out of 20 people maybe at the most. And then like people that make an effort to distance is maybe like one in 10. Like most people just, it doesn't, they don't fucking care, dude. Like that's the scariest part about this. If there's anything scary about it left besides getting sick and your family yeah. getting sick itself, you know? I, I would yeah. be shocked to see of a, like, learn of a trucking company that was taking, like, re- oh, reasonable, yeah. effective measures to combat oh, yeah. spread. But, like, I don't think that that's the case for dude, nobody in the, the shipping vast industry majority, is. unless it's, like, a super small mom-and-pop kind of place. Dude, nobody in the shipping industry does. I've got customers that work for FedEx Ground and work for... Um, oh, yeah. That's a whole other The Postal Service and, like, they don't care. Like, they don't think it's a big deal. They're not worried about it at all. But the thing is, though, is, like, I really hope those people are right. I really hope that, like, it just goes away. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> the likelihood of that's yeah. pretty... No, that's... Okay, let me rephrase it. That's not really what I mean. I'm kind of hoping that I'm being overly cautious, maybe too cautious. Yeah. That's yeah. That's more so what I mean. Like... Yeah. Well, I mean, life has to go on to... Some yes, extent, you know, it's like it's unavoidable to a certain yeah. extent, but also it's like very gray. It's sad that there's not more being done to like make it safer. And now we're yeah. just like, oh, everything's fine. Lebtown, a Pennsylvania newspaper. That's the name of a paper. Lebtown. Lebtown. L-E-B-town. 
Not huh. sure. Okay. <laughs> Not sure where that name comes from. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah, we don't need to get into that. Uh, but the paper reported an apparent employee walkout at an XPO-operated food packing plant in Palmyra over coronavirus concerns. So I guess they run a food packing plant, so XPO may be more diversified than I thought. Hmm. When the 41 Action News investigators asked the Philadelphia driver if the company is adequately pro- uh, protecting drivers, he replied, No, absolutely not. <laughs> The driver claimed that XPO has temporarily shut down several facilities across the country due to positive coronavirus tests. Those facilities include ones in Carlstadt, New Jersey, Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, Gary, Indiana, Youngstown, Ohio, and Newark, New Jersey. A lot of those cities are absolute shitholes too. Like yeah. <laughs> Young, I've been to Youngstown for a hockey game and goddamn, that town is just not in good shape. And uh, Gary, Indiana, also just ravaged oh, God, by yeah. the manufacturing industry. Leaving. Those are yep. Rust Belt, like, oh, God, decay yeah. cities for sure. Sorry if you live there, anybody. Yeah, we live in Iowa, so <laughs> yeah, it rocks here, man. Actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those are the the towns that come up in like a screenplay when yeah. the, the joke has to be like the shittiest place you can yeah. think of. Gary, yeah. Indiana, Gary, Indiana. <laughs> Josephson confirmed. The company has shut down the Kansas City, Kansas facility after a Cedar Rapids, Iowa driver who had been there tested positive for COVID-19. Represent. (laughs) Hey, that's where I live. (laughs) Yep. I know where that is. Yep. So they shut down the Kansas City facility because a driver who lives here who had been at the Kansas City facility tested positive. But from what I've heard, the Cedar Rapids location did did not shut down. And yeah, Josephson did not specifically confirm any other facilities have been shut down. Uh, he said, we've had facilities shut down because of positive cases. You know there have been reports of that. <laughs> he provided video of thorough sanitizing. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, the, the, that's the proof right there. We made a video. <laughs> Look, we, we sanitized. <laughs> In most cases, we are finding it really only takes a day or so to get the sites thoroughly sanitized where there's a positive case and get them back up and running. Yeah, don't worry about the employees, though. They just can come right back to work. There's no need for them to stay at home for a few weeks to, you know. Employees said it might be too little too late. A social media poster noted that an employee was sick on a recent Friday and wasn't confirmed positive for the virus until nine days later. And that's when the cleaning took place. Right. Nice. So somebody had been, you know, sick for over a week, and they didn't clean the facility until the positive test came back. Yeah. One thing that's been maddening about this is, like, they don't talk at all about the incubation period for the virus or, like, any of that. Like, it's not even, like, it was a thing that was covered in, like, March, but since then it's, like, we've, Mm -hmm. like, forgotten that it takes, like, sometimes two weeks for symptoms to even present themselves. So it's, like, there's a lag in all of the reporting on all of the testing, not to mention that they're not even testing enough people to begin with. Like... It's fucking insane. You're contagious before you show symptoms. Right. You can be contagious before you show symptoms. Mm -hmm. And also, like, sanitizing isn't going to do shit anyway. I mean, it might to a certain extent, but it's, like, like, airborne. Yeah, Yeah. it's like touching your face, like, putting your fingers in your mouth like a child. Like, maybe then you have some reason to worry, but... Yeah. Well, honestly, all of this just sounds too complicated. It sounds too (laughs) inconvenient for these these business yeah. owners um it's too hard on the economy it's really best that we just do nothing and wait for it to go away it's just the flu yeah these <laughs> multi-billion dollar companies are just too powerless to do anything i know 
Like, I feel bad for them, man. I I know what it's like to be mildly inconvenienced. I mean, that's why I've been staying home for two months. Because so, I know I'm going to forget and just touch my face and, like, stick my <laughs> finger down my throat in public. And I, I feel like wearing yeah, masks... I do that, too. I've been more... If I wear a mask, I'm like, I'm not touching my face. Like, it's a reminder to not touch my face. Which, yeah, the mask I guess does They're help. saying, like, the opposite, where people are, like, want to adjust it and all that. You mm-hmm. get used to it, man. Like, yeah. I, I, I especially... Like, I've got a beard... So, like, it's really itchy, but I don't know, man. The more you wear it, the more you get used to it. And then, like, it's... Mm -hmm. Like, I actually walked into the gas station the other day without it on, and, like, I felt naked, and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I didn't even realize that I didn't put it back on. And uh, I was like, well, I don't want to, like, walk back to my truck and then put it on and walk back in, because I don't... I didn't want to... I don't know. I just didn't want to do that. But it's, it's weird, man. Like, it feels weird to be out. Like, being outside without one, you know, I don't really wear one when I'm, like, outdoors or anything, but, like, if I'm going Mm -hmm. in a fucking building, I'll put it on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm not breathing in, like, the farts and the coughs (laughs) of everybody that's been in there. (laughs) That is a good question. I I think it's inconclusive. I have heard that feces can spread coronavirus, or it does contain some coronavirus materials, but I don't know about farts. But it would seem to be, it would seem to be a logical, logical next, uh... It's, like, the only way that coronavirus can spread is through farts, so, like, anytime you, like... Hear somebody pass gas in public. I was just massive panic. <laughs> 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 like you're significant other farts while they're asleep, and you're just like, uh oh, <laughs> like, crawl out of bed. <laughs> oh no, it's too late at that point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a symptom as well as increased flatulence. Oh yeah, oh, there's. No. I think a lot of people have like digestive issues with it. Oh, that's actually true. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I saw a uh, video the other day. It's very disturbing, honestly, Uh-oh. about all of the different ways that it can present itself. Like, basically, it depends on like how you're exposed and like where and like whatever. But like, there's different parts of your body that are more susceptible that have like the ACE two. Um, enzyme that it attacks. So yeah, there's card. a lot of people. It yeah, a lot of people get it like digestive symptoms as well. Did you guys know that uh, they're they're able to like trace a couple of different like strains basically of the virus, and they determined that every positive test in Iowa all came from like a strain in New York. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've been tracking it. Yeah, they're speculating that every single case in Iowa stems from people that came from New York or people that were in New York. Yeah, like a large, yeah. I, I saw some of the stuff about that. And also, I saw that Andrew Cuomo's calling it the European virus or some shit because they also did testing and they found out that the origin of the virus in New York was not China. Please but... say Italy. Please say oh, Italy. Oh, yeah, it was definitely, it was <laughs> Italy or Spain or <laughs> wherever. Wherever those New York folks had their vacations. Uh, The Philadelphia driver said employees aren't being told when someone has symptoms. Instead of decontaminating right away, they're waiting days for positive test results, the trucker said. The driver also said company employees are aware of the past positive tests at the KCK facility and concerns there. Okay, so company employees are aware, all right? Yeah, that's that's usually about as far as it goes before it dies on the table. The extent of that statement. Uh, they're talking about it there where no one wants to touch the freight coming from Kansas, the trucker said. But I am betting they are forced to touch that freight anyway. It's not just XPO Logistics facing the issue of su- supplying employees with PPE. A letter sent to President Trump on Friday from the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association had, this is in all caps, HELP, MAYDAY, 911 in big, bold letters at the top of the letter, because truckers don't have the PPE they need. 
The letter claimed, as a result, the nation's entire supply chain is at risk. That's the end of that article. It's, it ends on a very bleak note. Good. That's realistic. Yep. And this was, uh, again, early April. So I'm sure we're experiencing the fallout of XPO Logistics not taking precautions for their employees. Uh, but let's look, let's look upwards to the top of XPO Logistics. As I mentioned, I have a Forbes article on their CEO, Bradley Jacobs. Uh, this is from 2018. This is a couple years old. Uh, this is a piece by Antoine Gara. That's kind of a cool name. I like the name Antoine. Yeah, good job on the name. <laughs> uh, the headline of Antoine's article is, Better than Amazon? How Bradley Jacobs turned a $63 million bet into a $12 billion transportation empire. Nice. I love to do that myself. <laughs> I can't yeah. wait to hear this article. Yeah. I like to gamble. Yeah, gambling owns. I like to go to the blackjack <laughs> table and put down $63 million. Yeah, just as a bit. If I'm lucky, this will turn into $12 billion by the end of the yeah. night. Always bet on black. To that listener who requested this discussion, uh, you know who you are, and this next segment is for you. Decades ago, Bradley Jacobs studied math and piano, classical and jazz, at Bennington and Brown before dropping out to make money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah? I like this guy. We're on sentence one and I'm already... (laughs) (laughs) Now the balding 61-year-old CEO of XPO Logistics invokes that background to explain how he's parlayed sequential roll-ups in the gritty businesses of garbage collection, heavy equipment rentals, and delivering stuff into a $2.6 billion net worth. All of which he's probably never lifted a finger for. <laughs> like, I wonder how many garbage trucks this guy's in on the back of, or like how many packages he's sorted and put into trucks. And Oh, yeah. Uh, he's in the gritty business of garbage collection, which um, I, yeah. I haven't watched much of The Sopranos, but I know <laughs> I know what that means. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Waste I'm in the sanitation <laughs> business. <laughs> wink, wink. Anyone can buy a company. You just have to sign a contract and wire the money, he says. <laughs> Anyone can buy a company. He's right. You just wire the money that you yeah, just magically made appear yep. by having yep. capital. I'm willing to sell everybody listening a share in my company. All you have to do is PayPal me $100 and you will be a business owner then, just like this man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll include that in the show notes. I do keep seeing ads on Facebook that's like, find out how Rock Hard Caucus can apply for benefits for, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for COVID relief. Yeah, we're going to get a small business loan. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, hell yeah. I don't think we have to pay it back either, right? So let's just get as much as we can. <laughs> we got to pay all our employees. Yep, mm-hmm. But conceiving how those acquired company parts can be integrated into an organically growing entity takes a special creative talent. I don't even really know what that sentence means. If it's organically growing, do we really need you, though? Like, you could just... It just happens on its own. (laughs) Yeah. Life finds a way, right? Yeah. This is a quote from Mr. Jacobs. Even though I'm not writing a song, I'm thinking of ideas that are abstract. It's a combination of math and music. 
I'm visualizing them as clearly as I possibly can in space and time and then actually executing on them. Dude, that sounds like a prospector post. That's really funny. <laughs> this is like <laughs> visualizing math and music. And <laughs> this is like literally why these guys think they're successful. It's like, oh, like I'm uh, more eclectic <laughs> than, yeah. than my competitors. Yeah. Like Elon, it's like Elon Musk disease. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not successful because I had like huge structural advantages in capital. I'm successful because because I was good at math. Yeah, I didn't have my, my family's. I'm not a musician. I'm not an artist, but you know, like the art really, you know, it speaks through me through the company, the trucking company that I own. <laughs> I went to music school for a semester before dropping out, and that's what makes me really good. That's my <laughs> unique uh, talent that I bring to the table here. If that sounds a tad highfalutin, consider this. In September 2011, Jacobs' family investment firm ponied up $62.5 million to gain control of Express One, a Michigan-based freight expeditor, expediter? Yeah, expediter, doing $170 million in sales a year. Okay, I'm considering it. He renamed Express One after its XPO stock symbol, moved its headquarters to Connecticut, and over four years spent more than $7 billion on 17 acquisitions. Today, XPO stock trades at 102, giving it a market cap of $12.3 billion for a compound annual return of 38% under Jacobs' watch. That's more than double the S&P's return and better than Amazon's. Is this all Forbes is? I've never yeah, yeah. read a Forbes article. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is. And yeah. obviously those that rate of return is going to be like just consistent forever. It's not <laughs> like okay. Uh Jacob's own stake is worth 2 billion dollars, making up the bulk of his fortune, which includes a 50-acre Greenwich estate a 17,000-square-foot Palm Beach waterfront mansion just down the road from President Trump's Mar-a-Lago. Sweet. Mm. I wonder if they're buds. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> In one sense, I'm sure. And a starter modern art collection with works by Picasso, de Kooning, Calder, and Liechtenstein. Oh, wow. And a lovely cottage with bunk beds in it and a trapdoor leading to a cellar on Little St. James Island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy is highfalutin, man. He's got Picasso's yeah, he's and he's right. got a property near Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> I love the word choice there. A starter modern art collection. It's like <laughs> he's Pokemon cards. <laughs> yeah. He, he got the base <laughs> the base, <laughs> base card set. Yeah. I think that says a lot about the type of people that Forbes are writing these articles for and the type of yeah. readers that yeah. this publication has to talk about a starter art collection excuse me sir i was i was guaranteed one holographic art piece of art and i didn't get it in my starter set i would like a refund please please give me my millions of dollars back dude i would love a holographic lichtenstein his art would look really cool shiny like that uh i'm skipping a couple paragraphs here because it's just a bunch of numbers again okay here's a quote from uh, an analyst. Back in the 1990s, I wrote reports saying FedEx is a technology company designed or disguised as a transportation company. Today, the same could be said about XPO. Yeah, I'm sure your take was your take was very wrong back then. I have a feeling it's going to be wrong now. <laughs> like it's like the premise of this article, him suggesting that this could overtake Amazon or become like an Amazon competitor, because he's absolutely fucking wrong, dude. <laughs> Amazon said that they're like what they said, like five to ten years away from fully automated warehouses. Like 
You're going to be able to just fucking top that, dude? Within yeah. our lifetimes, we will see major shipping companies disappear, and it will just be Amazon. Like, the more they acquire and the more places that they... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, infrastructure. Yeah, the more infrastructure, the more, the more places they absorb. Like, yeah. we will be, we'll be buying everything from Amazon grocery stores. We'll be getting our medication from Amazon pharmacies. Anything that you order online... Well, I would say the the vast majority are, is going to come from Amazon. Amazon step trucks will replace like FedEx and you know maybe yeah. the United States Postal Service will go away. They already kind of are. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, man. In our lifetime, like we're going to be living in like United States of Amazon, and like I'm not I mean, even joking about that. Right. I mean, I think we're pretty much already there. It's like, it, oh, and I'm like when crises is hit like this, it's like the federal government isn't going to help you. It's going to be. The fucking Walmarts and Amazons, yes. like, like yes. they're going to be the ones who put food in your mouth, like, or like, yes. allow you to to feed your family. It's not going to be the yeah. fucking government, right? And Amazon is fucking bulletproof, like, right? Amazon has proven that they are one hundred percent recession proof. Like, any yeah. sniff of things going south, they only get more powerful. Yep. Yeah, they've been making record profits over the past couple months. Yeah, and I've been seeing an Amazon truck drive by our house, like four or five times oh, a day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I see them at work all the time, dude. And they yeah. deliver on Sundays, too. Yeah. Yep. I remember when I was in, like, your, I guess when we were in, like, middle school, maybe, when Amazon was first a thing, and, like, yeah. it was just books. Yeah. Right, like, it you was would, a bookstore. It was yeah. Barnes yes, & Noble's you would use, <laughs> competitor. Yes, you would use Amazon to purchase books, and that's it. For most of his career, Jacobs has been doing deals, moving things, <laughs> and looking to make money from an information <laughs> edge. Would he say it's an art? Doing. <laughs> he, he likes art, <laughs> so he likes art yeah. in the deal too. That's right. His father was a jeweler in Providence, but college dropout Jacobs was drawn to the big profits being made in oil as prices spiked in the late seventies. Oh, and he was yeah. a college dropout. He was drawn to the big profits. Yes. This is... <laughs> I just love billionaire myth making. What a unique. Or I don't quality. know if this guy's a billionaire, but he is. Yeah. He is. Yeah. Two point five <laughs> oh, okay. billion. Yeah. Oh, okay. For sure. He read up on oil brokers and then cold called his way into the business. Enlisting <laughs> That's all it takes, baby. Yeah, enlisting the legendary Ludwig Jesselson. That's a good one. Head of commodity house Philip Brothers as a mentor. Oh yeah, I know him. He's an absolute ledge. Jesselson's son is now XPO's lead independent director. Uh, eventually, Jacobs moved to London, where he met his oil trader wife, Lamia, <laughs> or Lamia, L-A-M-I-A, not a name I've seen before. Please stop DMing my oil trader wife. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, what a power couple. Please stop making deals with my wife. <laughs> uh, while living in London, he made millions by securing oil from places like Russia and Nigeria and chartering <laughs> ships to transport it to Europe. How do you think he secured that oil? <laughs> by 1989, however, futures markets were squeezing the profits of globe-trotting arbitrageurs like Jacobs, and he returned to the U.S. to research his next venture. I, I just, it's insane. Like, I, I just think of, like, how when I was younger, I would, like, read, it's just, like, propaganda. The, 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 they use a word, like, arbiter and, like, <laughs> yeah. and, like not, in a non-negative fashion. <laughs> like, arbitrageur. <laughs> yeah. I'm just committing arbitrage. Like, <laughs> like, that's a totally normal thing. And not just, like, playing a fucking shell game where you're guaranteed to win because you already have so many like fast resources at your right at your hands mm -hmm. 
It's like you just—it's just literally like taking—it's just literally exploiting fucking economies of scale. Yeah, uh, it goes on to describe his adventures in waste management. One sentence I'll give you here is: Jacobs hired them, uh, Browning Ferris executives, former. He hired them and went on an acquisition tear, consolidating hundreds of mom and pop collectors with overlapping routes in areas like Southern Kentucky and Michigan. Oh yeah, man! Who doesn't love to go on a good acquisitional tear with your boys <laughs> once in a while? Just go fucking wild and absorb as many businesses as you can. Uh, United Waste is the name of his garbage company. I'm trying to find the the best parts because this these Forbes people are very long winded. They are. <laughs> Jacobs purposely started out in a capital light niche of the market. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Yeah, I'll just read, read the end here. Uh, XPO is going to be a global logistics juggernaut, said Stephen Denicio? Denicolo? Denicolo? Yeah, the niche, <laughs> man. I know him. <laughs> a portfolio manager at the $6 billion Federated Kaufman Fund, which holds XPO shares. He called the stock undervalued relative to peers J.B. Hunt, C.H. Robinson, and Old Dominion Freight Line. And if the economy turns, say this for Jacobs. He gets the value of improvisation. Oh, is that a music thing? Is that from <laughs> the semester in college? Yeah, yeah <laughs> it is. No, he's actually an improv comedy. Um, <laughs> what a he's nice like a Second back. City graduate. <laughs> Yeah, he went to the uh, Connecticut UCB. (laughs) Yeah. In jazz, if you hit a wrong note, there's no such thing as a wrong note. Yeah, I've been saying that for years. (laughs) Jazz isn't real music. (laughs) (laughs) That's the note. That's the reality. You radically accept that, and you build on it. He riffs. Music (laughs) is really business. You have to be using all of your senses at the same time, and you have to be dancing with the circumstances and evolving. I wonder what kind of what his favorite music is, though. This guy doesn't I don't listen know. to music. I don't think at he all. listens. To, I'll just say I don't think he's ever listened to jazz. <laughs> just like all these psychos, the only thing that they would ever say that they listen to is like Bruce Springsteen, or just like something that like pops into their head immediately. They they have like a fleeting memory of from their like teenage years. They don't listen to anything. You're right. <laughs> yeah, no, this guy doesn't enjoy music. Yeah, it's like Mitt Romney. <laughs> His favorite food it's is like hot dog. It's like Mitt Romney saying he likes, <laughs> yeah, hot dog meat. Yeah. His starter art collection is, he doesn't look at them. They're just like. Yeah, it's tokens. Yeah. It's tokens of his achievement. Mm-hmm. And I could I could go down a real rabbit hole with what he says about jazz here, but. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, this is like personally offensive to Justin. <laughs> there's no such thing as a wrong note. That's not really. Yeah, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> That's true, actually. I mean, I would subscribe to a philosophy like that, but that is definitely not like a larger, like no. it's not jazz as a whole, is <laughs> not saying right. there's no such thing as a wrong note. Like jazz is yeah. very much about like chords and scales and like. Yeah, it is. No wonder he dropped out. <laughs> it's like, yeah, man, jet- music is just like whatever, you know, like. There is no wrong music, bro. <laughs> Which is right, but you know, and, not, yeah, I mean, the psycho I, doesn't believe that. Yeah, like I, I would believe that, but the the kind of music that a layman would call jazz, like that's not really the philosophy behind that. Like that's not the technique that's going on. Just play whatever yeah, you want. Also, <laughs> Nothing is wrong. Also, point out, he literally said business is music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, he said music is really business. <laughs> oh, music is really business. Yeah. Okay, well, that, that is true. There are some large record labels and large companies <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> that make a lot of money churning out, <laughs> churning out a lot of music that sounds 
very similar to each other. <laughs> you have to be using all of your senses at the same time. Uh, I would say that's not true for either music or business. Yeah, I love to use my sense of taste while conducting business and while playing playing my guitar. Yeah. It's very important. Maybe he has like synesthesia and he, he can taste the music that he hears. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's likes to play a theremin with his tongue. Right. <laughs> There's also never been any blind musicians either, so Right. <laughs> Definitely not any like super famous blind musicians. No, not at all. <laughs> not, no very talented guitar players or very talented piano players. Alright, well that's uh Bradley Jacobs uh I hate him. He's one of our our beloved job creators here in Iowa. Roughly 600 of of our state's workforce are collecting a paycheck with his signature on it, and uh, we salute him for for that. <laughs> and to the listener who uh, requested this, thank you. This was a uh, yeah. Thanks a lot. I'm <laughs> I hate this asshole. I'm glad I found this really annoying. No, that's article. a really really funny article. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, if if that one pissed you off, well, I've got something a little closer to home that's going to make us a little bit, I think, more angry, but in a different way. So this was published in the Press Citizen uh, just a few days ago, May 14th. It's written by Richard Churwitz. That's a fresh one then. Sweet. He is a PhD. He has a PhD. He's a communications professor at the University of Texas. Uh, the reason that he has a column here in a local Iowa paper is that he holds three degrees from the University of Iowa. So he's got some Sick. roots here. Yeah. That must mean he's really smart, right? Yes, for sure. Uh, this, yeah, His intelligence will be on display uh, with the words that we discuss shortly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Right. So this is a guest opinion piece from Richard Sherwitz, and it's called A Rhetorical Model for Addressing the COVID-19 Pandemic. A rhetorical model. Rhetorical. Hmm. <laughs> Where are you going with this, Richard? We could just speak it out of existence <laughs> using our superior logic. <laughs> Any predictions what he's talking about here? A rhetorical uh, no model? No fucking clue. <laughs> Though I will say you can you can spread it very easily by speaking. Maybe stay away from the rhetoric. Yeah. <laughs> it's also very interesting that the COVID scientists refuse to debate me in a public setting. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, he he gives up the game pretty quick. My admiration (laughs) and respect for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo increases following each of his daily COVID-19 briefings. As a scholar of political communications for more than 40 years, rarely have I studied a political leader who so thoroughly understands how to respond rhetorically to a health crisis. He is a model for other political leaders. Oh, uh, we're still doing this. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I thought that died out yeah. when it, like he like cut all the Medicaid shit <laughs> and like they they have more deaths than like anywhere. I'm beyond tired of hearing about Cuomo. I'm not gonna lie. Like, give credit to the people who actually did something correctly. Like, the, Inslee is only like a governor who actually has done like a good job with this, basically. Yeah, as far as I can tell. For example, in March, Cuomo exhibited as he has done regularly since, how to be a genuine leader, believable public figure, and compassionate human being, and what rhetorical skills and virtues that requires. Using a very personal and powerful story about his brother, uh, Chris Cuomo, CNN anchor, who tested positive for COVID-19, the governor told a heartwarming, at times humorous, story that resonated with his audience. (laughs) 
Uh, mm. Could this be any more just fucking pointless? <laughs> this is no, liberal brain. People cannot stop sucking this dude off. I'm sick of it. He's my favorite leader because he told a nice story about his sick brother. Man, yeah, who fucking you, yeah. cares? Yogurt brain morons. <laughs> Record yeah, well, deaths. like thousands of people <laughs> die. Oh my god. Well, you gotta you gotta crack a few eggs, to make an omelet, right? It was a story with which anyone, regardless of political view, could identify. <laughs> <laughs> ah, reaching across the aisle, my favorite thing to do. Let's pause there. How many uh, would you say MAGA voters identify with uh, Andrew Cuomo's leadership? And his rhetorical style. You think they're they're coming over to his side of the aisle because of the way he speaks? <laughs> oh, surely. Cuomo used this personal narrative to document concretely how to challenge people calmly but firmly and decisively to take the pandemic seriously, hence behaving in a disciplined manner that is respectful to others. And I, I mean, we're going to be doing this over and over again, but... Uh, if we move beyond the rhetorical strategy and look at maybe the material effectiveness of his leadership strategy, specifically with uh, getting New Yorkers to take the pandemic seriously, uh, didn't we say earlier that it's been traced back to New York, uh, pretty much yes. all of the the Iowa cases? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I believe we looked at a map earlier which showed all of the people traveling from New York all over mm-hmm. the country. Yeah. He did a great job keeping those people quarantine the diaspora (laughs) (laughs) new york diaspora (laughs) if anything mega people would love that because he's letting them uh live their lives and uh, exercise their rights to travel so that's actually good well and also like the fucking new york state politics is like they're like one of the most corrupt states like Mm -hmm. just because they are so heavily democrat like it's ridiculous the way that democrats don't think that like in heavily democratic states there's like no corruption (laughs) like the the red state corruption is specifically red states exclusive Mm -hmm. to red states yes illinois is famous too yeah illinois is the most corrupt state in the (laughs) union and it's entirely democrats Mm -hmm. and like cuomo is a fucking he's a you know austerity fucking hawk like he's a fucking conservative yeah like just just because he's got a d next to his name he doesn't care. He cares more about corporate fucking donors than he does about fucking people. Come on. He and his administration helped the Republicans gain control of the state legislature over in New York, if you are not aware of that. Yeah, they do the fucking gerrymandering. They fucking consolidate power the same way Republicans do. They just do it with a fucking smile on their face. He's kind of the worst of both worlds because it's like New York has just... Uh, devastating deaths from coronavirus so completely ineffective on that front and then he also sort of like puts on this persona of like the strong man so it's like Mm -hmm. uh in terms of in terms of what we were talking about like uh regardless of political view you (laughs) you have to respect his rhetorical strategy it's like nobody nobody who takes the virus seriously should respect this guy because he totally like fucked up and the state is dead and then nobody on the right is going to be, like, attracted to him because the way he talks about it, it's like, yeah, we shut this shit down. Like, we took it seriously. We're we're the big government stopping you from going to Applebee's, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but let's get back to what Richard has to say because he's a big fan. Moreover, Cuomo daily portrays his own humanity, thorough grasp of the facts, and awareness of what must be done to get us through this difficult moment in our country's history. In addition, the rhetorically astute balance demonstrated in the governor's discourse of personal narrative with the needed response to the pandemic is superb, 
providing an archetype of successful messaging in times of crisis. <laughs> successful messaging. Yes, that's what's important here. Yeah, that's the the real test. It's the real uh, measure of how successful a politician is. Yeah. Of special note is the fact that Cuomo regularly and candidly acknowledges what he doesn't know. Something that increases his ethos and allows him to be taken more seriously by his constituents. I'd question that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that's only for media guys. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. oh, look, he's being humble. He's he's showing humility. I can write about this. I can use this as a hook in my next article. Yeah, your average citizen, when they see their governor... gives a fuck? Yeah, Come when they on, see man. their governor acknowledge, oh, I don't, I don't know all the facts on that. Like, are you going to be like, oh, this guy's like... He's being honest. I He's just him. like me. Yeah. Yeah. He's dumb as a fucking rock. No, it's like, you motherfucker, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love watching Kim Reynolds personally. She has all the answers and really puts me at ease about the situation in our state. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cuomo is cognizant of the fact that people would rather hear the truth, no matter how bad or harsh, than to remain confused and in limbo. He appreciates the significant categorical differences between facts and emotions. <laughs> <laughs> ah yes a man of logic i see <laughs> he ch- he chose correctly <laughs> he chose logic yes as well as data and politics <laughs> frequently reminding his audience of joe friday's catchphrase from dragnet holy shit how old is this guy anybody uh, a- anybody know? i've seen <laughs> i've seen a couple episodes of dragnet when i was like 10 yeah <laughs> isn't that show from like the fucking 50s yeah this is again like <laughs> This is an old people reference uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Has a cool theme though, like the intro. I remember the intro. That's yeah. good shit. That it was cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe Friday's catchphrase from Dragnet. Anyone want, care to take a guess? Uh, always wipe twice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with Chuck. All right. Uh, Joe Friday's catchphrase from Dragnet was just the facts, ma'am. Uh, okay. That's we all cool. remember that. Yeah, we've all. Of course. We all say that all the time because yeah. we, all, we, all, <laughs> we all idolize the, uh, the Dragnet star, Joe Friday. Yeah, and we all agree what the facts are also. <laughs> right. Yeah. I totally value data over politics and facts over emotions. Yeah, there's no way you can twist the data. <laughs> there's no way. It's just That's just pure, pure data, baby. No way to no way to represent it differently. Facts do not care about my feelings, and I respect it. They do, however, care about mine. <laughs> the governor's briefings are rich in easy-to-digest visual data and consistently decry the natural and unproductive tendency by politicians and pundits to spin information about and blame others for the coronavirus pandemic, all of which prevents solution of the problem. By contrast, Cuomo routinely marshals a rhetorically powerful case for why people, regardless of partisan perspective, should stop exploiting the current crisis by turning a health issue into a political one. He's done a bang-up job there. Good luck. Yeah. (laughs) Uh. While some perhaps rightfully take issue with Cuomo's failure to respond quickly to the COVID-19 pandemic, perhaps rightfully, yeah, it cannot be denied that, unlike Donald Trump, His communication provides an effective rhetorical response, revealing strength, personal resolve, love, compassion, and honesty. (laughs) 
Oh. What a fucking measuring stick, man. What a moron. I love being alive <laughs> right now. This is the best time in history to be alive by far. Possibly better than the bubonic plague. <laughs> I don't understand like how these people don't I guess they don't see. They don't they're like, "Oh, like he actually is a good guy and he actually does care and they don't like see like the actual effects of his policies really no, because they're not, not the ones who are affected. They're not, you know, the people on the bottom. Or they don't give a fuck. Like they don't believe anything they write. That's also a very real possibility and I think probably also the most likely one. I just it's insane. It's like weakening your own position because it's just so hypocritical and like I mean this whole like there's a whole cottage industry of like media guys like this and it's like a pathological inability to ever hold people in power accountable. Like Do you think that the people who the, these articles are written for do you think that they realize those people like they well they don't they don't care about that. Like they know the people that read these articles don't give a fuck about that. They want this kind of service. They don't want you know, yeah. To like they look want at it objectively. Fantasy. Yeah, exactly. They want a they want a pacifier. They don't want to know like the how the sausage is. <laughs> no, is they made. don't. It's just it seems endemic to like modern modern liberalism, where it's just like like at what point do you turn on these people? Like at what point? Yeah. Like Biden? Like are you fucking kidding me? At what point do you turn on these fucking people? Now listen here, Jack. <laughs> like you're just allowing like it's just a regression like you're just sitting by watching like politics regress and like like applauding when they when they do the stage play well without like someone forgetting their lines (laughs) (laughs) i'll probably look this up after we finish the episode but i would be shocked if richard sherwitz does not have a similar article about joe biden just yeah i that phrase sounds like like it (laughs) uh rhetorical response which reveals strength personal resolve love Mm -hmm. compassion and honesty it's exactly the same way these people talk about Biden. that's the way they're pitching him yeah he's empathetic he listens the quiet power of joe biden (laughs) (laughs) oh god i haven't listened to that (laughs) do you guys think that these guys their brains have always been like this or do you think that like trump getting elected was like some sort of like uh it activated some like uh what, what do you call it um some kind of like pre-programmed code in their brain that just made their brain execute this uh, procedure of acting this way. <laughs> I, I'm curious about, because um, this guy is old enough to have been aware of politics when Nixon was impeached or was going to be and resigned. And mm-hmm. it's like, how can you witness that and then still <laughs> like view politics through this lens? Because he was a Republican. That's why yeah, Democrats are actually good. <laughs> Yeah, I would say these people are generally, like, very privileged and, like, genuinely probably do, like, you know, when there's a Democrat in office, they're, like, genuinely convinced themselves that, like, oh, like, I'm doing well, like, they're doing good things for people who are doing less well than me. And then when, like, Trump gets in office, like, it's 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 really just an aesthetic thing mm-hmm. where it's, like, he makes me uncomfortable because Yeah, of his- that's all it is, like... A lot of people, their lives have not changed, or they've changed very little, like, directly, like, their their lives and, like, the lives of their media yeah. family have, have barely changed. Like, to them, the change is, is a change in rhetoric. They don't see any of the actual, like, consequences because right. they're largely insulated from them. So, like, the big change that they're seeing is, like, Obama talked nice and Trump, like, is vulgar. And, right. and all this shit. And it's also some of the same things that got Trump elected is now there's a different group of people that are feeling like they're losing some kind of culture war. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's entirely presented. Like, look at the evangelical right. Like, how the fuck can those people say that Trump is like a man of God and like he's God's choice to run the country? Like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like, have you read yeah. the Bible? <laughs> like, do you know who <laughs> this guy is? Like, it's just 
people will they'll believe anything and they'll do anything to feel like they've got a leg up in the culture war once again and their way of life is the one that's you know it's the one that they feel like being represented by the government and yep. being represented in media and everything when the reality is that it's not representing any of us like no normal people are represented whatsoever on that level it's it's just i don't know yeah. And again, the Democrats are better than the Republicans in some aspects. But right. the problem is when the rhetoric doesn't match their actual actions, they are the ones who look like the biggest fucking hypocrites, yeah. and then Republicans hammer them on it. Yep. And yes. it's true. It's true. Like, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. When the Republicans attack you for being a hypocrite, they're not always wrong. <laughs> like, and they're unafraid to do it. Like, they'll yeah. fucking pull, they'll, they'll throw any punch at you. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people. The people who are on the fence, the people who don't have strong ideological convictions. Yeah, if there's one thing the Republicans are very good at, it's just delivering absolute fucking haymakers to people uh, when it comes to just, like, tearing them apart. Like, they don't give a fuck, dude. Like, they, they're they cage fighters, man. <laughs> like, and, they don't... And both parties are hypocritical, but, like, I feel like the modern Democratic Party is pretty much defined... That's, like, the only thing that defines it, really, is, yes. is hypocrisy. Yeah. Uh, put simply, Cuomo illustrates how to balance what Aristotle, in his rhetoric... Called ethos, <laughs> pathos, and logos, the persuasive oh, wow, appeals Aristotle. most needed during a time of crisis. He's putting those three degrees to work here. He's read Aristotle. He really is. Guys. <laughs> this guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to talking. Yeah, now he's got my attention. <laughs> Cuomo proves what communication scholars have known for years. That in addition to fact-based policies, crises require a fitting rhetorical answer. As academic research reveals, rhetorical responses often impact the effectiveness of a chosen policy. Okay, I guess. Uh, what about, I mean, is the policy working, though? That's Right. That, that seems, seems like, like a better step. way. <laughs> that seems like a better way to, like, solidify your political gains by actually having, like, instead of just <laughs> talking good than, like, actually helping people. Mm-hmm. That might that might actually make them get get them to vote for you. I mean, it is this is this guy's area of expertise, and I I wouldn't completely dismiss the importance of like being able right. to communicate to constituents and stuff. But it does seem like the policy itself is actually important. <laughs> like like real world effects that you have on people will probably make more of an impact than what you say on TV. But that's just me. Yeah. Imagine if we had a president of the United States who oh, here we go. <laughs> who instead of promoting himself, spewing false as well as dangerous information, attacking others and refusing to take responsibility could lead in this manner. What if we did have that and then it led directly to Donald Trump? <laughs> Not only would that reduce the severity of the COVID-19 pandemic, but it would help unite sure. a politically divided nation. Yes, no, the mean no, man on TV. If, there was, if, if Trump wasn't being a meanie on TV and calling her Greasy Nancy or whatever, like things would be much better. <laughs> I want, yeah, I mean, I would dude, love to hear him <laughs> pull that one. Dude, if he, if he comes out on stage Nancy. at the debate, yeah, if he like calls her like Greasy Nancy or like Oily Pelosi and just like brings the pillow with him and throws it on stage during the debate and is like, all right, Sleepy Joe, I think it's time for you to take a nap. Like, I'll fucking vote for him, man. That shit rocks so hard. <laughs> Parody. <laughs> Who That's, gives a shit anymore? Sell, sell us out of the last episode, too. Uh, 
Yeah, we're getting dangerously close to voting for Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> as a bit, as a bit. <laughs> yeah, we, we do not actually endorse voting for Republicans. No. But uh, I would we say... We barely endorse voting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there's basically nothing we can do on the ballot at this point, so... <laughs> It's not right now, not this year. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to joke about. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's Richard Sherwitz's article, just praising the rhetorical leadership of Andrew Cuomo over there in New York. Uh, I would like to point out that as uh, somebody living and working in Texas with uh, and writing for a local paper here in Iowa, maybe he has like more important things he could be writing about than fucking Andrew Cuomo. Wow, like that's maybe, right. Maybe you could talk about the Texas state government or the Iowa state government who... Uh, that's quite the triangulation when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, he just has to focus on like something happening a thousand miles away and talk about how, wouldn't it be nice if someone like Andrew Cuomo was in the White House? Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> Write about something real. It really wouldn't be nice either. Like it, it objective. Like for the majority of people, uh, I mean, this is a repeating pattern. But yeah, yeah. I don't think it would be very nice. <laughs> yeah, no. Do you think that's like from the the Cuomo thing is a result of like mounting anxiety about Joe Biden's ability to like make even make it to election day, or do you think that people are actually considering this as well? A, an I think that's a better alternative. I think it's kind of died out. Like I, that's why I was kind of surprised this article is so recent because I thought the Cuomo worship had kind of died out after like you know yeah. fifty thousand people died or whatever. <laughs> I'm whatever. guessing he he wrote this like a few weeks ago and it was just finally yeah. published. I don't know. So yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. But yeah, it probably is partially that the feeling that <laughs> of competency that you get from Cuomo that you don't get from from Biden because not even trying at all. <laughs> like no, dude. That's kind of the unspoken motive of this piece is like, yeah, and what if Andrew Cuomo could replace a certain other uh, high-ranking political figure? <laughs> yeah. Especially when you focus on rhetoric. I mean, like I said, like this is what people are saying about Biden, that he's like effective at expressing his empathy and love. But, yeah, instead I mean, of the, the healer-in-chief, instead of the divider-in-chief. <laughs> the, 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 truth, the truth of the matter that people like this are not willing to like confront publicly in a piece like this is that Joe Biden is not an effective communicator in any way at all. Like Fuck he cannot, no. right. he cannot speak or like conduct himself in an interview at for all for more than like forty five seconds. That's yeah. been his like Achilles heel for his entire career. Well, and also just being a shithead. But like, <laughs> it yeah. was like. No, he was notorious for gaffes. Like that was a thing. Like when Obama mm-hmm. even shows him, yeah, yeah, was like, is he gonna like, <laughs> is he gonna fuck up and say some dumb shit? Which I mean, he definitely did. Yeah, bumbling by. <laughs> yeah, man, this rules. I'm glad that that it's turning out this way. The election. I've said this before in our DM that uh, if they just like the def- okay, so I think I said it before on the show too. But like the absolute funniest thing, the the most hilarious, like dumbest just ridiculous outcome to anything is typically the most likely anymore. So (laughs) part of me, and I know we've talked about this before, would love it if after all of this that we've gone through with the caucus and the primaries and COVID and Joe Biden, if he just drops out and we just get Hillary again as the nominee. Oh, part of you would enjoy that? I think I'm... Oh, God, dude, yeah. I think probably all of you would enjoy that. (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> After everything we've been through, it's just Hillary again. <laughs> yeah, like the past five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what? She probably has a way better... She would win. <laughs> I, she might. She has a better shot than Biden. I'll say that. Well, the Republic, they I don't know. A, the Republicans already have the Hillary playbook, and she's done nothing to make herself any more likable in the last four years anyway, no. so I don't think that she'd have a better shot. But Right, but this time, Trump has actually been president for four years, and so like <laughs> the contrast is a little bit different. Well, whose who's support do you think would have dwindled more in the last four years? I know Hillary's not president, obviously, but like... Yeah, I mean, she's trying to maintain her public image as like, much as possible with her podcast shit going on Howard Stern. Oh, my friend about her podcast. Did Howard Stern ask her to get on the Sibian? <laughs> uh, I don't believe so. But... Have you been molested as a child? <laughs> yeah, it's really funny, the Howard Stern, the way his Fuck. career has gone. I know. Now he's like the, the safe, it's safe enough for Hillary to go on his, his uh, show. Yeah. What a world. He's like a tamer Bill Maher now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's Bill Maher is more controversial than yeah. Howard Stern, for sure, at this point. All right. Well, I think we've uh, we've talked about all we need to talk about today. We got through a couple of uh, very fun articles. Uh, yeah, I had a blast. Yeah, I I was uh, I was thinking I might have an on air meltdown today, but I didn't get quite that far. I just I just, <laughs> I just said some bad words as usual. So. I'm glad yeah. I I'm glad I was able to keep myself composed, you know, like my idol Andrew Cuomo. I, yeah. I was able to employ an effective rhetorical strategy on today's episode. Um I'm really glad that uh Chuck was available to come back on the show today. Absolutely. Well, like I said, my brain's been repaired and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Welcome back to the the fold, Thank you. Chuck. Thank you for having me. You guys have been the show's been very funny. It's been nice to listen to. I just haven't really, really felt like being on or doing anything like getting mad and you know, <laughs> right. I just didn't it's, feel like doing this for a yeah, while. It wears you down a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, plus I'm still like going to work and shit. So it's just like, yeah, I don't know. it's, mm-hmm. it sucked, but yeah, when we were all going to die. So, you know, the state's <laughs> reopening. So I'm, I'm back on the show. It doesn't matter. Everything's fine. We flattened the podcast curve. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We did our best without you, but we're glad that, that you've, you're back, and now it's time for the golden age of Rock Hard Caucus. <laughs> yes, the, the age without women on the show. Uh, uh, what if Bernie would have won? <laughs> That'd be so... I can't even imagine that anymore, dude. Like It I just know. feels so far in the rearview mirror to me that I, yeah. I can't even think about what it would be like anymore. I could barely fathom it when it was like a possibility, you know? Right. Yeah, you were you were the smart one because in the first episode you said that you thought it was going to be Biden, and we were like, I don't know, man, he <gasps> sucks at campaigning. I did say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I mean, we, we we were based. I mean, I was looking pretty good for a while there. I mean, I called him in like fourth place, and he got fifth in the well, caucuses. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, it was the Iowa caucus that we were talking about, not who would get the yeah, nomination. Yeah. True. But, true. You know. I'm st- I'll still take that as a victory. Another big win for me. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah, I just <laughs> I don't you. think anyone. I just I don't think anyone really saw this coming. Um, Except maybe the Democrat part, the yes. DNC. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I saw coming was uh, just probably getting fucked again. You guys know that I'm usually not super hopeful about things like that or very optimistic, yeah. but for once in my life, I was leaning far more towards something good happening. 
than something bad yeah. happening. And I was yeah. qu- quickly reminded as to why that's a foolish way to think about anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just remember, whatever the dumbest outcome is, is now the most likely. Like, think of something that's like, okay, what do you guys think is the stupidest possible outcome to the COVID crisis? Not the, like, not the saddest, but the dumbest one. Uh, that basically it all just evaporates and everything's fine from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Perfect. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. Put your money on that. Yeah, and Trump and all of the, you know, Republicans who thought it was fake are just completely vindicated. I think that would be the dumbest. Yep. We're getting into the summer months here, so yeah, you know that you heat, know? that heat in sunlight is going to it's going to kill it. <laughs> yes. Kill it dead in inside your body though. You know, that doesn't harm it at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was uh, you know, poss- always a possibility that the Democrats would consolidate around another moderate candidate. I think we might have discussed that too, but like I didn't expect it to be Biden, honestly. Like I uh, it would have made more sense for them to go like with Pete, honestly. Yes. Pete was the logical choice. But Pete Pete could be He beat didn't Trump. have he didn't earn the he didn't earn his way, you know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. also he I didn't think a lot of people pinky ring. He didn't kiss the pinky ring. Now he kissed the pinky ring, and now he's like balding. Like he's, yeah. <laughs> he's like his, his hair held on just long enough for the fucking uh, for Super Tuesday. <laughs> then it's just like it's like all right. He's been cursed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's cursed by Man. his Marxist father's ghost. <laughs> uh, I cannot wait to see him again in twenty years running for president. I'll tell you well, guys now. It might he's be as soon as four. <laughs> it might might be as soon as four, buddy. <laughs> I don't know. They need to put him back in the, put him back in the tank. Let him grow a little more. All right, you guys ready to put this thing to bed? Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> uh, hey, if you haven't checked out our Patreon, you might enjoy that. Uh, I'm almost done reading through Joseph Dobrian's first novel. Uh, I'll have episode. Oh, that shit is getting wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That last episode was uh, uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't listened yet. How many pubic hair references are we up to? Uh, two. And what was the over under seven? I believe it was five point five. Ooh. Uh, okay, <laughs> I listened to the new one. I'm wondering if it's gonna left. ratchet up a little bit. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, we need a lot of pubes in the last. Yeah, you're looking good so far. Who's we? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, the last episode with uh Rock Hard Caucus official artist Ali High was uh probably. Uh, the worst thing I've ever recorded in terms of uh, the things that I said into <laughs> a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've got to listen <laughs> so, now. So yeah, yeah if, it's good. Ali is great. Yeah, listeners, if you want more of our show, go to patreon.com slash rockhardcaucus. Episode nine will probably be out later this week. We'll see. Uh, but thanks for listening. As always, um, if you want uh, if you want to get in touch, you can reach out on Twitter at rockhardcaucus. Uh, Natalie, Probably monitors an email inbox at rockhardcaucus at gmail.com. Uh, we don't get a lot of emails, so it'd be fun to just flood our inbox. So Natalie has a <laughs> lot of reading material. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that's it. Uh, Rock Hard Caucus is adjourned. Thanks. See you later. Goodbye. Bye.